I can certainly say I don't have a clue, but I can make some guesses. What kind of wisdom will people need to master to overcome the negative societal changes or psychological changes you talk about? These are terrible questions, by the way. Welcome back to the World After COVID mini-series of the On Wisdom podcast with Charles Cassidy and Nigo Crossman. Over the next 20 minutes, you'll be hearing insights and forecasts from some of the world's leading thinkers on what our post-pandemic world may look like, for good and for bad, and what kinds of wisdom may best help us navigate this new world ahead. Igor Grossman, so good to be with you again. How's it going? Charles Cassidy, excellent. Well, this is a big episode. Big episode in a mini-series. Episode 10. The Um, last one. The last one. So it's been a wonderful journey. We're going to have some poetic thoughts to wrap things up in a moment at the end. But would you like to remind us what question our experts are grappling with in this final question that you asked? So one of the last questions that I asked the group Mm. of scientists last year was what kind of wisdom will people need to master to overcome major negative societal and the psychological changes after the pandemic. And so today you'll hear the last four responses. We'll be reflecting on them. And we've got some uh, familiar familiar faces and we've got some new faces. Something for everyone. Last time, some of our quotes were around social support, sympathy and compassion, acknowledging uncertainty, balancing diverse interests. Right. um, We got some other things uh, in the pipeline today. So do you want to start us off with your first quote? Let's do it. I think it would help people if they ask themselves, what does it mean to be a good person and what does it mean to live a good life? A life that you would be happy to pass on to your children. A life that you would be happy to endorse and promote for other people. If you ask yourself that question on a regular basis, it may suppress the temptation to be too me-focused when that bad stuff starts to get worse. Other than that, I, I really don't know. People will miss their contact with other human beings. Uh, people already do. I mean, I desperately miss that I can't hug my grandchildren. You know, I can wave to them and I can walk alongside them, but I can't grab them and hug them. My daughter won't let me. Um, she's worried about killing me. <laughs> Oh, that is a familiar voice, familiar voice to the the, uh, listeners to this podcast. What a guy. That's right. Who are we listening to? And so this is my friend Barry Schwartz, uh, Mm -hmm. who is an emeritus professor of psychology at Swarthmore College and has published extensively on the topic of wisdom and choice and various other things. I think he's such a good communicator because he's clearly like a super, super bright guy, but he just sort of, he sounds like a normal human being when he speaks. It's brilliant. Wait, I, I don't sound like a normal human being when I speak. <laughs> you sound you sound more like a sort of one of these millennial types, you know. This the hipsters. Yeah, yeah, hipster. That's right, hipster psychologist. The, 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 I think that's what your business opinion. card says. Okay. Yeah, Barry Schwartz sounds like just a really decent chap, um, and I love this quote. I mean, this is your this is your quote, but I really like yes. it. It's great. So, so what, well, you thank know, what, you, Barry. Thank you, Barry. Respect. Just a, what a great thing to suggest that people think on a regular basis about what it means to live a good life. But these are my thoughts. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Why did you go for this? Well, first of all, I wanted something that is a little bit different from the mm. political, social, mm. 
and uh, this kind of cognitive ideas that we discussed so far. And what mm-hmm. stood out to me was this notion of considering, reevaluating what's important, taking this big picture perspective mm-hmm. on the meaning for the self and one's society. Mm-hmm. And I think that's beautifully captured in this quote and mm-hmm. stood out a little bit from the rest of the suggestions. Well, I, now, I obviously completely endorse what he's suggesting. I mean, uh-huh. how could you not think, you know, thinking about what it means to live a good life um, is a valuable thing to do. But what is what what is the direct line here between the question you asked in terms of what wisdom do we need to overcome the negative impact of the, the pandemic and this response? Like, do you see an obvious connection there? Other than it just, gen- gen- you know, generally being a good idea. Why is it valuable <laughs> so, in So you're using Dario being generic now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like uh, really good advice, but I'm trying to work out really whether it's... really good advice. At any time. Any time. time. It's, Anything it's happens. Perennial. It's, like, it's always It's like good. a horoscope. Uh, Any time uh, you could... <laughs> a Barnum just, just statement. Say yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, well, let me defend this statement a little bit. <laughs> I think the question is about what kind of wisdom do we need to overcome the and prevent the negative consequences of the pandemic mm. which was what i asked and, and barry says well you know first of all think about what's really important and mm. f- focus less on you personally but mm. focus on the larger group and think about the big picture i think uh, yeah no of course focus on the big picture is always uh, a good mm. thing to have in mind yeah. but i think in the context of the pandemic when we really focus so much on at the end it was often uh, well, what can I do? I mean, obviously yeah. the society is going down, you know, this whole thing is not working out for us. So vaccines may be helping, right. but maybe not, who knows? Yeah. And everybody for themselves. And I think he is just trying to point out that you have to think a little bit more beyond that and uh, beyond your immediate interests. Because yeah. ultimately yeah. it's not just about you. Yeah. I was wondering whether he's being... And again, for the record, Barry Schwartz, love him to bits. But just having a little jiggle on this this quote, um, poking it a touch. Do you think he's being mm-hmm. presumptuous that if people think about what's important and what the good life is, that they'll come to the same conclusion he does and that it's about thinking beyond yourself? It seems like that's he's maybe thought of what his answer to that question is and perhaps yeah. assumed other people will come to the same conclusion. We'll share the same idea about mm. what uh, what the morals are if they would mm. only focus on what uh, what it means to live a good life. Uh, that's a good point. I don't know. You know, it reminds me of our conversation in the previous episode. You briefly touched on this kind of belief in the true self and right. true good self yeah. and the, yeah. that, the, you know, we are really good people. At the end. <laughs> could you, just could you say that with a little bit good... less sarcasm in your voice, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, we are really good people for our own in-group. I think that's more, yeah. that's an important caveat for, for any time. And we've seen that, right? Like yeah. with the vaccine yeah. purchases. Yeah. I think it's complicated. I think the part where Barry clarifies that it's about thinking less about uh, your self-interest, mm. I think that is probably applicable to most societies that you need to balance self-interest against interests of the larger group whatever that means, so at least like air a little bit more on the side uh-huh. of consider the group, not just yeah. you personally or your family, immediate family. <clears throat> so there I completely agree with him. But I also agree with you that, you know, is it always the case when you just ask people to think about the deeper meaning of their life and then mm. suddenly they will become, they'll start to self-actualize as uh, mm. Carl Rogers used to say and yeah. become better human beings because of that. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, like a Wall Street banker thinks about deeper meaning of their life and maybe 
deeper meaning in their life is cocaine and right. you know eighteen-year-old uh, girls. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. a very different life. So, so yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's it's a lovely hope. Yes, but, but I don't know if it's guaranteed. And it, it assumes a certain degree of homogeneity in uh, mm. cultural values uh, shared mm. within and across societies. Mm. Mm. Brilliant. Well, I, it's always good to listen to Barry. Um, so uh, Indeed. It's wonderful to have him on. Um, all right. What else have you got for us? All right. Let me share another one. I think you like this one. Mm. Well, I, I don't think I have anything unusual to say about that, except, you know, the classic do unto others as you wish would have others do unto you. I mean, I think a kind of Zen-like perception on our common humanity, I think, is required. You know, I think um, cultivating in yourself a kind of sense of concern for other people is very important. I think it's very tempting to be selfish when there is a catastrophe. Uh, I think it's very tempting to be selfish when there is a catastrophe. And um, I think that's something that one needs to use will uh, to combat. And that uh, we all have these natural tendencies to, with few exceptions, most people have these, the great majority of people have these natural tendencies to be nice. And, um, and I think sort of reflection on that and a kind of desire to be a good guy right now is a, uh, is that is necessary and admirable and frankly it's good for you too it's not just that you're being altruistic for altruism's sake um there is good evidence that this these types of sensibilities redound back to you first of all you feel better about yourself and then others also treat you better so everyone benefits when people you know act positively you know there's that whole thing about mask wearing you know my mask protects you and your mask protects me so when i wear a mask you know it um it cultivates a sensibility in those around me that this is normative and beneficial behavior. So, this is, I mean, it's gold, isn't it? Who, who is this, Eagle? <laughs> I, I knew you would like this. Yeah, so. I love this. So, yeah. this is Nicholas Christakis, who is a professor of social natural science at Yale and who has done work on, you know, disease spread during the prior pandemics and mm -hmm. is one of the brilliant sociologists, interdisciplinary scholars, and a physician at the same time. And, Where does he find yeah. the time? I don't know. I mean, I think I had to push some buttons. But I mean, he's a collaborator of mine, I think. Uh -huh. That's the only reason he was able to do it. He was writing the book, uh, The uh -huh. Apollo's Error, about the pandemic and a uh, possible thereafter. So it was very fortunate to have him as part of the series. And this is from, I think, September 24th, right? Uh, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, that's right. And he, he was obviously incredibly well positioned for this particular project that you were putting together, mm -hmm. right? Yes, probably better than uh, some others, given that he was spending literally half a year thinking about the consequences uh, yeah. and aftermath of the pandemic. Yeah, I'm surprised I haven't read it. I'm, I even, you know, that seems weird that I haven't done that yet, but I'll get to it. So, poof, a Zen-like perception on our common humanity is required. Any ideas how we might do that? Well, I think that the general idea of, of being aware of a shared humanity, and we just mm. talked about, I mm. mentioned the vaccine, I would say vaccine capitalism, <laughs> whatever that means, but also yeah. like, you know, the, the, the ones who are in power are just grabbing yeah. it and then it's yeah. a free market and screw the distribution, fair mm. distribution, who cares? Canada bought three times as much as it needed and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, 
So that we have seen that certainly goes against the idea of shared humanity and mm-hmm. recognition, sort of interconnectedness, so that the, the pandemic will actually not be over until it's really over everywhere, yeah. and that we need to be treating everybody, regardless where they live, with the same type of dignity and care about them to the same extent as we care about people in the country where we live. That's I, which is very hard to do, and that's why I think he's mentioning Zen-like perception because mm-hmm. it, it goes against our natural tendency to protect our in-group. But I suppose. I suppose this is a this is a thing that's come up so many times through this miniseries. Right. You partly this makes me depressed because I can't think of a better case study if, if humanity was ever going to get their head around the interconnectedness, it would be this, right? But we st- still seem to be struggling to to make that to reach that point of perception. And we have an example literally where other people's welfare has is you know is directly linked to yours and and still the sort of ordering three times as many vaccines for your country seems like a, a quite natural quite common widespread response so if we can't do it now maybe we never can yeah i mean you know but it's not the only thing right like the other thing that is really kind of striking you think like okay the first way if you didn't get it when to open up the second way if you didn't get it about the exponential curve right, right. and when to open up but surely after the third wave you will get it like well, now we're approaching what, like the fourth wave in England? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And <laughs> did the politicians get it? Did they learn about the exponential curve? Mm. No, you mm. just get back as if like to ground zero, as if there's those experiences and losses from the last year and a half yeah. just didn't happen. Yeah. That I find like really fascinating and it's very, very sad. Yeah. I liked him talking about, and I've sort of heard it before, but he stated it quite neatly and convincingly about why act you know looking out for other people you know being kind i guess to other people is in right. your direct interest he said you know just gave kind of two quite neat examples you feel better about yourself so that's obviously going to have an impact on you know yeah uh, yourself and then secondly other people are going to treat you better because you are treating them better so you're sort of developing allies in the in the in your immediate um, surroundings so i thought it was quite neatly put that's right mm. what did you like about it well, the fact that uh, you like him so much, I thought I had to bring him back at the end. I mean, because we had some quotes from Nicholas before. And, and I also felt like we didn't talk about this notion of shared humanity, more like a global perspective yeah. on what type of wisdom do you need to overcome the negative consequence of the pandemic, mm-hmm. which I think are just starting now. Right. Now we, you know, several countries, including the UK, Canada, the United States, several other countries in Europe, approaching certain vaccination targets. And we feel like, oh, we're almost over almost the there. Maybe we're done. The, we've made yeah, it. Oh, may, maybe there's this Delta variant or Delta pluses, but really, you know, now it's over. But it's not over. And it's not over because of the shared humanity, because you have to yeah. realize that it's until everybody has yeah. at least some level of protection, it will not be over. I was listening to a podcast this morning that was saying the continent of Africa will probably not have enough vaccines till the end of next year. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh. It just goes on and on, doesn't it? Yeah, but that's that was the forecast that The Economist magazine, Intelligence Division, has been making at the beginning of this year in January. Uh, well, it was the podcast was the intelligence podcast from The ah. Economist. That was well, the here one. you go. So it's consistent. <laughs> Old news. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing changed. <laughs> the, the only thing that they were wrong, though, like to, just to clarify, they forecasted that Canada will be like Russia or some of the other 
uh, larger countries uh, because mm-hmm. of the initial vaccine supply issues. Because for Canada signed these contracts to purchase three times the amount, but when they will be delivered was unclear. And certainly something happened where Canada was really lucky, maybe gave twice as much money as it should have and was able to actually overcome this initial challenge. So they are definitely way ahead of the targets set up by The Economist. Okay. Okay, that's good. That's good news. Well, it's, it's all it's mixed news because mixed it comes news. at the expense yeah, of other sure. countries. Okay, I'm going to play some, play some of my quotes. How does that sound? Let's do it. Well, I think it is the wisdom of long-term planning, long-term government. One argument we have is that because of our very confrontational political system, uh, where one side, you know, one party fights another and opposes everything the other party does, there's a temptation when you come into power to start to reverse what the other side did. It would be nice in this country if we could have more cross-party initiatives to help deal with the longer-term structural problems we face. What is the future of work when we have uh, the rise of artificial intelligence? How do we deal with social care, which is extremely badly provided for in this country? I think having uh, greater cross-party collaboration, which means that you can have policies set for 10, 15, 20 years rather than simply four or five, would be a wonderful first step. Okay, so I'm a new, wow. a newly big fan of this guy, and uh-huh. I had not come across him before until listening to, you know, until engaging with the World After COVID project. But so, who is this? So this is Anand Menon, who is a professor of European politics and foreign affairs at King's College in London, mm-hmm. and he is involved in sort of uh, general public and policy discussions at the Strategic Council of the European Policy Center. He's also associate fellow of the Chatham House, so he's done a lot about the, uh, you know, relationship of the UK and the EU, and right. obviously over the course of the Brexit. Yeah, he's um, had his work cut out. Well, unfortunately, I don't think he was yeah. quite pro Brexit. <laughs> No, to put no. it mildly. No, I, I would have guessed that from what I've heard of him say. But yeah, I mean, so this is this is kind of. I pulled this one out as an example of mm-hmm. one of the ways that people could, you know, one piece of wisdom that people can use to combat the negative consequence of the pandemic is having a long term orientation. And you know, in terms right. of politics, it means we we typically have four or five year, you know, uh, ten years between elections, and it's just it's just something that seems so patently obvious to me that that would lead to short-term thinking because obviously you, you you only have till the next election cycle for years i've thought that it would be a good idea to have a longer election cycle but i but i guess i'd be interested in the counter arguments like is it considered undemocratic for your election cycle election period period between elections to be too long like Mm-hmm. You know, so how do we find the balance there? I don't know, but but what, what do you think? You know, if, imagine if it was like an, an election once every fifty years. You know, you could think with long term orientation that'd be wonderful, but you know yeah. that doesn't sound like a great system either. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you I mean asking like what would it look like? Well, ask Vladimir Putin; he will tell you what it looks like. <laughs> right. I mean, he, could def- he has a long term orientation and get some things. Yeah, very long term orientation. I think yeah. Russians have a very long term orientation. That's why they yeah, you know, yeah. stability. Right, that's exactly. what we need. Former German Chancellor Konrad Adenauer, uh, mm. you, you may remember from history books, mm. around the same time, like right after the war, mm. and when he was doing uh, campaigning, his uh, campaign slogan was "Keine Experimente." No experiments. Ooh. Stay with us. Right. <laughs> as, as conservative as it gets, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, 
I'm not sure how we would move towards a long-term orientation without the process becoming problematic and maybe undemocratic. Um, so I just don't really know what that would look like. Well, I want to push back a tiny bit. I would say, yeah. like, I mean, some of the projects, you can certainly put some securities in place so that even if the next government comes in, it will not be able to say, and now we'll dismantle it entirely, especially if it's a project that had support of different parties in the government right, before right. that. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's some, something highly contentious or dubious, even like, you know, the Trump claims he wants to build a wall and nobody else wants that wall except for Trump, even half of his party thinks it's a joke. That's a different story. So there it's totally right to stop it immediately after mm-hmm. the next person comes into office. However, if it's something about, you know, transportation or Mm -hmm. uh, some kind of important infrastructural change or medical system change at UHS or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think having securities can provide this continuation, even Mm -hmm. if the leadership changes. Mm. Yeah. It's been happening. I think that's the the basic thing though, right? Like I I don't think I'm saying anything new here. Well, it just seems like almost every project, I'm probably thinking more in the U S but, Mm-hmm. becomes political um, and politicized. So, I don't know. And politicized, but like I think some of the projects by themselves are not necessarily mm-hmm. as political as yeah. the additional gains the politicians are trying to make by politicizing it. Sure, sure. Because I'm thinking of, of Biden's uh, infrastructural project. I yeah. mean, what is political about the, the claim that you need better roads? It yeah. benefits the economy. It yeah, has I nothing mean, to do with it. It's quite hard to argue against that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a very sort of libertarian idea, if you want. Mm. Uh, Actually, I, I guess libertarians it. would say that, well, I'll take that back. Libertarians would say that people just should build their own roads. Right. Uh, <laughs> Out of their own materials they find in their own garden. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. I am going to go on to what is going to be the final quote of the, the final series. quote. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you know. Get ready for this. Hold on to your I'm horses. ready. Well, for me, it's basically that humankind, and I'm not identifying any particular uh, components of humankind, must come to understand that we, we share the Earth's bounty and its vulnerability, both of those aspects of our being born. Secondly, good fortune is not fairly distributed locally, nationally, or internationally ever, and never has been. What you do about that piece of wisdom is another issue. Third piece of wisdom for me is that contentedness is a better personal goal than happiness. Another piece of wisdom is that violence signals a need to reorganize our social systems, that we haven't got a solution, a workable solution for humanity. And that a workable solution just for our narrow group is not going to be viable long term. And finally, merging out of the BME movement, we will always need an accountable policing force to keep one another in check locally and also internationally. I think that's a kind of wisdom. All of those are components of wisdom, as I understand it, that will give us a livable future, a human future. 
a social future together. Okay. It's a, it's a big one, isn't it, to uh, end on? A lot um, to unpack. Yeah, I mean... Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, let's give some context. Who is this? Sure. So and, this is Michael Bond, a yeah. friend of mine. He's a cross-cultural social psychologist. and He spent a lot of time studying the Chinese social psychology, the personal process, taught there for 35 years uh, in Hong Kong. And yeah, I think he's one of the most remarkable cross-cultural psychologists of the 20th and early 21st century. And this is from June 20th of last year. Yes. I thought the timing was relevant, especially when he's talking about some of the racial movements that were sort of happening right. around the summer. I think he misspoke. He said BME, uh, yep. which is uh, you know, body modification index. Maybe not that, yeah. Um, <laughs> he meant Black Lives Matter. Um, so where to start? I mean, like, he kind of hit on such big ideas like global connectedness, inequality, right. contentedness versus happiness, reforming social structures. So when I hear that, I, I hear a huge amount of wisdom, but I also find it kind of overwhelming. I'm like, where do I start? So it's almost, it's almost too, it, it seems like he's describing something, a scenario that's too big for me to interact with or integrate with i don't know what yeah i don't know where to start in terms of you know how do you bring in some of those things but i wouldn't i'd quite like with the time we have just to talk about contentedness where he, he talks about contentedness is a better personal goal than happiness what do you think about that like how do you because a lot of the things he's saying are about change they're about striving to make changes in our society and then he's also talking about the value of contentedness. So I, it's, this is one of these called Eastern ideas, isn't it? Like non-striving versus striving. And it just mm -hmm. seemed like there's a sharp contrast here because he's saying we've got to change all these things. But then he's also saying contentedness. So <laughs> how do we... Right. I mean, I'm, I'm not oh. trying to be childish here. I'm yeah, he's saying, a like, multidimensional scholar. So I think he's yeah. talking about different uh, levels. And I think he prefaced for some things, including this answer, but also some previous answers. Mm. That's, he's talking about societal level, and then he talks about the psychological level. Right. And when he talks about contentedness, he talks about the psychological level. Okay. But for some of the other parts of his response, mm. he talk, often talks about the societal level. And mm. I think here at the end, he started mixing them up. That's why it's sort of like this kind of... Uh, mixture of accountability for the police force on the one hand, but then contentedness on the other hand. On the psychological level, I think, I mean, so it's not a surprise that, you know, you may want to strive for changing the structure yeah, and have systems in, in place to check on accountability for different groups and so on. Mm. And yet at the same time, on the individual level yeah. of the person, focus on less sort of hedonistic striving. I think that's where he's coming from when he talks yeah. about happiness he means hedonistic form of happiness not this kind of meaning oriented happiness yeah and they instead of that said like be content with what you have accept to be mm. it, it's almost like the same level as this gratitude idea that also mm. circulated on this mm. uh, in the series of interviews yeah it seemed like it was a nice one to end on because he touches on lots of themes that have come up over the whole right. uh, series but i so igor i think we're kind of bringing things to a close like my goodness any, any, any surprises for you? I mean, you probably had expectations around what people, you know, people might talk about. Any big surprises? Surprises. It's a, it's a heavy uh, question. <laughs> well, I found that the heterogeneity in answers about different answers to different questions mm. 
was quite surprising. Like everybody brings up something else. Okay. Uh, it's not like that there are some topics that just like come up, but the really like the dominant. I mean, there, yeah. there are some that appear more often than others, but truly sort of outstanding. Everybody says X, Y. But maybe that's not a surprise given the heterogeneity of the levels of expertise. Mm. What is interesting that I found that like about half of the people talked about their predictions in a dialectical fashion. What I mean by that is that I ask them about the positive. I was like, well, this can happen, but also this negative thing will also follow. Huh. And then I asked about the negative. Well, remember I told you about the positive? Oh, yeah, it's also negative, by the way. And so here's the <laughs> negative cited. Yeah. And so um, there was this type of sort of pendulum where the same issue would be viewed as having both positive and negative consequences, but also the language that they used to describe, for instance, we looked at the a linguistic markers of half emotional sentiment in the language. Okay. When they talk about the positive, a lot of people actually ha- were more ambivalent. And when they talked about the negative consequences, they were also more ambivalent. Huh. So that was, was quite interesting. And the other thing that I found, especially in the context of what do you need to overcome the, the negative consequences yeah. after the pandemic, was this notion that it seemed like they were really projecting a lot of, of the scholars including michael were projecting so whatever was important in a given moment right. they would think about strategies that you know like uh, the time of the black lives matter protests like oh what kind of how can we fight social inequality mm. i'm not saying the social inequality ceased to exist quite the opposite sure uh, but they were they were more safe in june and early july than they were in october when the mm. political election in the u.s mm. and partisanship and a sort of lack of understanding between the different political groups was at the forefront. So that was also quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, it seems that both of those things are kind of artifacts, perhaps, of how people, humans think, rather than, you know, the or, or all the limits of prediction, perhaps, that right. reality itself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it also speaks to, yeah, also how do we treat experts? Uh, at expertise and how do we if you just have an opinion from a single expert who is brought to a table well first of all not recognizing the heterogeneity but thinking oh like it seems like all experts are saying like that Uh, so it can be easily manipulated by politicians because you Uh just pick the expert that supports your viewpoint right but there's also something about like how do you implement the expertise if it is uncertain and recognizing this uncertainty which has Mm -hmm. been so much missing over the course of this pandemic mm. that even if the experts, science experts communicate something, there's a dramatic uncertainty about their predictions. And they're trying to communicate and then the, the journalists come in and start mm. like, twisting it in a way to streamline the message. It becomes mm. like almost like a caricature. Mm. And, and we learned that it's not beneficial. You know, We wanted this certainty before mm. the pandemic in everything. And then the pandemic happens and it is inherently uncertain. And now we cannot really even deal with it. And like, we don't know how to deal with information that's constantly changing. So this project for me highlighted that a little bit. Yeah. Fascinating, isn't it? Like, uh, and then it sort of bleeds into this idea that accepting uncertainty can also be manipulated to make people devalue information that they don't agree with. That's right. That's yeah. right. There is maybe one more thing that I want to say, and that is yeah. so 
most of these people had no idea about wisdom. So we brought up a few people who are actually bona fide wisdom researchers like Dilip Jester or Monica Ardelt. But the vast majority were researchers in other fields, sociology, climate, history, you know, social psychology, emotions, or clinical research. And yet, when we asked the question about what kind of wisdom do you need, very similar set of categories or clusters came up uh, that many wisdom scholars and philosophers would view as sort of central to the construct without ever bringing up the... Oh, I, I don't think this experts had the chance to read anything of either what I have written on this topic or others. <laughs> uh, namely, the, what, what came up are these notions of sort of a metacognitive sort of context-oriented perspective taking, uh, like recognizing limits of your knowledge, mm-hmm. focusing on the big picture, this type of considerations, which is, I found it remarkable because I didn't expect that. That is it. I mean, how does, yeah, how does that make you feel as someone who is trying to get you know find some coherence around this in, in the field how does that make you feel when you ask intelligent outsiders that they gravitate around a quite small set of ideas well i mean it's not like they're entirely outsiders i think this all experts studying uh social they're phenomena out, they're outside you know yeah they're outside i mean so it, it reaffirms to some extent uh, yeah. my uh, viewpoints about what is essential to a wisdom construct it almost like uh, provides a convergent evidence to mm-hmm. what others who have studied the construct itself have been saying. It also provides a sense of humility because, you know, if somebody who has never heard of wisdom comes up with similar ideas, do we really need to study wisdom or what <laughs> we mean by wisdom? Or should right. we rather focus on how can we cultivate it? Right. Which is what, so, you know, but it, so it puts a certain degree of humility. So instead of saying, oh, yeah, here we finally came up with this idea, yeah, what right, wisdom right. is really about. But guess what? This uh, random group of scientists who never heard of the concept have the very similar idea. Yeah, they already do. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's yeah. brilliant. Well, and that sounds like that was an unexpected aspect of this project. You weren't, you weren't purposefully not telling, you know, you, I, I don't know if you'd build that in, you know, we will find out what people think wisdom is. I wanted to know what sort of like the so-called intuitive theories of okay. these researchers were. That's why I asked the question, what kind of wisdom do we need? But I really I had, did not expect that mm. it will be in any form converging. In mm. fact, if any, if I would have predicted before that, I would have said that it would be all over the place and so not converging. Um, I mean, the other reason why I asked this question about wisdom was because it was an elegant way to get a just general advice uh, for mm. mitigating mm. Pandemic consequences. Mm. Well, there's a lot of advice in there. So, what are your? F- I actually have a question for you, Sir yeah, Charles. Yeah. I mean, you haven't, you, you were not part of this before I presented it to you before mm-hmm. we started uh, our journey here. Mm-hmm. What is your sense now at the end after you listen to them as an outsider? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I have been surprised surprised that how, how much of how sort of dependent on how people are probably feeling at the time, how much of an impact that seems to have on their long-scale predictions about big, deep, fundamental things. You can very much, that's why we've made the point of including the dates every time we've referenced that's something. That's right. Because it seems, once once you start to hear these, di- these um, interviews, it becomes apparent very quickly that they're really sent, you know, rooted in the time that they're saying them. So that for me raises questions around, you know, how object to these, the, these sort of perspectives and how much we need to take context into account and how different would these answers be at a different point in time, which on the one hand feels like it 
reduces the value of what they're saying. But on the other hand, it, it seems to be a very important insight. These are people who will be aware more than any other audience or uh, group, I suppose, of all the influence of context on our behaviours and stuff. And yet even with these folks, this seems very evident. So that's kind of humbling. It seems right. to slightly put more burden on us as the listeners to pay attention to the context. Yes, and uh, I, I got to say, I mean, there's actually nothing new about that in the forecasting literature. We know that whenever people make mm. forecasts, including experts, they are mm. often driven by contextual factors mm. and mm. incorporate them and project them into the future. So from that perspective, it is very humble to know that even world's leading experts are yeah. succumbing to the same yeah. issues as others. Yeah. But, you know, they're human. So That's right, and I wonder if... Um, we should have allowed them to put, you know, confidence levels and things on on their predictions, you know. <laughs> yes, that would have been very interesting to do. Yeah, and yeah. if I would have done it again, I probably would have asked it mm. in a more structured fashion. Mm. But uh, good luck convincing yeah, super right. busy researchers. Yeah. <laughs> Can you also nice. predict, give your confidence to this very vague yeah, statement exactly. that you just made? <laughs> no, I will not. No way. You're not getting me on record saying that. Yeah. That's so, right. Well, Igor, it's been a heck of a journey. And one that I, I, I found fascinating fascinating and we have exciting guests in the pipeline for return that's right exiting from the mini series into the on wisdom de facto the classic series as i like to call it and i look forward to seeing you there stay tuned and that's it for today's episode of the world after covid mini series thank you to our listeners igor big question if people want to know more about the project where do they go they can go to the www.worldaftercovid.info Please stay well and safe. Goodbye.